His well, we have, we've been uh, preaching this series on Christmas through their eyes. We started with Mary, we went on to Joseph, and then we visited with the shepherds, and then last week we looked through the eyes of the three, well, we don't know that there were three of them, but the, the wise men, and the, and I, I suppose some of you are are just content to just take it as it comes, but I'm not that kind of person. I'd, I'd be curious, who's, well, who's left? In fact, I even got a text this morning from somebody who wasn't going to be here, and they wanted to know, who's on for this morning? Who's, who is this going to be? But some of you are too smart. You already figured it out. Sister Ruth Skank figured it out, and Rocky figured it out whether they know it or not. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, with me if you would, to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. There's many other characters in, the, in what we call the Christmas story. Um, I suppose we could have Tried to do the innkeeper and Anna and Simeon and so many other characters that Herod, Herod would have been interesting. But this morning I want to focus our attention on the whole reason that we have Christmas. I'd like to see Christmas through the eyes of Jesus. So I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. Philippians chapter 2. And we'll begin in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Isn't that exactly what we've been trying to talk about? It's getting into the mindset, the thoughts, and the attitudes of the, those in the uh, Christmas story. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion of, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Father, as we've journeyed through this series, all the while we were leading to this point. For there is none other that we want to set our life after, set, no one that we want as our pattern than Jesus. And I pray, Father, that you would help us to each one at this time of, of Christmas and joy and celebration and, 
and all the things that are wrapped up into this time of year, that there would be a, uh, within our hearts a desire to be more like Jesus. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. As I thought about Christmas through the eyes of Jesus, I think it would have been a mistake if we would have started in the stable. I don't think that that's where the Christmas story really begins. In fact, I'm not sure that there really is a good place to, to uh, find the beginning of the story. And perhaps it will not be until we get to heaven that we'll really get to know, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. But if you will allow me for just a few moments, I would like to step into, uh, not the stable, but I'd like to step into heaven in the moments before the first Christmas. Step into uh, perhaps the throne room. We're not really uh, privy to uh, what heaven is like. The, the few glimpses of heaven that, that we have, really, most of them, are centered around the throne room. I suppose that is the most important place in all of heaven. John does give us a few other details later in Revelations, but, but for the vast majority of Scripture that talks about heaven, the throne room is central. And so in my mind's eye, I can see God the Father and God the Son in the throne room, sitting upon their thrones. And I suppose the Holy Spirit is there as well. <clears throat> they've looked down upon earth and they've seen it as, as dark and, and disappointing. It was not, earth was not what it was created to be. Not, this was not the design. This was not the plan. And yet, before the foundations of the world, God did have a plan. And I don't know about you, but I, I kind of suspect Jesus is getting antsy to go. Those of you that are going to be traveling, getting antsy to go. Getting your bags packed and getting, getting everything squared away. Make sure you got your tickets and uh car fueled up and the oil changed. I mean, all the details that need to go into place for a trip, you kind of get antsy to go. And I just kind of, I don't know if God gets antsy, but if he does, if he does, I just kind of think Jesus is a little antsy to go. You know, I'll be honest with you this morning, I think he's antsy to come again. I don't know if God gets antsy. But I think if he does, I think he's getting antsy to come back. But in his wisdom, he knows that his clock keeps perfect time, and he knows just exactly when it's time to come. He knew the first time, and he'll know the second time when he comes. It'll be right on time. But I can kind of imagine in my mind's eye, and just... And it's just imagination this morning. Not, I can't place it on Scripture, but I, I just kind of see Jesus looking over to the Father and saying, 
Dad, I'm ready to go. All things are ready. Mary's been prepared. The, the angel has visited her. The, the census is on. The, the travel arrangements are set. Everything has been set in order. John the Baptist has, has just been born. He's going to prepare the way for me before my ministry. Everything is in order. Joseph has stepped up to the plate to take the responsibility that, that to father, not his own child, but the Son of God. The star is already there. It's, it's shining. The wise men have begun their preparations to leave. The angelic choir, is, they've warmed up their voices. They're, they're ready to make their announcements to the shepherds. It's getting time to go. I wonder what that moment was like for them. I've stood too often. It's a privilege, but it's also it's also a sadness to stand in there and beside the hospital bed or the hospice bed as longtime married couple are saying their final goodbyes. We've done it. We've been there. There's something that just just is hard about that. Somehow two become one. And somehow one is supposed to become two. And it just doesn't, it's just something doesn't work with that. We don't really understand the mystery of how a husband and a wife become one. We don't understand that mystery. And we live it. Most of us are married this morning. Most of us live and, and, and have experienced it, but I doubt any of us could explain the mystery of it. Something mystical, something, something supernatural, something in the spirit world, something that science cannot explain. How two become one. And we forget so oftentimes that the Trinity has that to a greater extent. The three in one. There's never been a disagreement between any of them because they're truly one in unity and thought. And I wonder, I wonder as they were saying their goodbyes. I wonder how that went. I don't know. I don't know, but their relationship would be different. For the time that Jesus would be on earth, their relationship would be different. They would have a relationship. How often did Jesus go to a mountain to pray? They had the relationship. But it just wasn't the same. I believe Jesus limited his relationship with the Father while he was on earth to the same kind of relationship that we can have with the Father. I believe that when he came to earth that he did not reserve for himself any 
special privileges denied us. And the relationship that Jesus had with God the Father, we can have as well if we're willing to pay the same price Jesus was willing to pay to have time with the Father. Jesus is there, and, and I just, I don't know how it's, how it's going to happen, but just in a few moments, Jesus is going to be stepping out of eternity and into time and space, leaving the celestial and entering into the physical. He's going to leave the pure, ethereal air of heaven and one moment he will be breathing the wonderful aroma of a stable. What a change in a moment. As I, again, just stand there at the at that borderland, that portal between heaven and earth, that moment of incarnation just before it, I want you to know that Jesus was sovereign. That Jesus was the King of kings and Lord of lords and the Prince of peace. But here's what I want to tell you. That though he walked through that portal and became a man, he never once lost his sovereignty. He was still the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You know, there's there was an old song that 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 used to be sung. I haven't heard it in a long time. An old song that said he could have called ten thousand angels. But you know, I I I looked up what Jesus said. Jesus said he could call twelve legions of angels, and at the at that time, a Roman legion was 5,000 men. He could have called 60,000 angels. We're talking about a king who has the power to command angels to set him free, to do what, all of his bidding. And as I just, as I just try to, to, to get my mind around the kingship of Jesus, his, his power, his ability to, to command 60,000, I'm sorry, 60,000 angels that were on the ready for Jesus' one word. Do you think that's the entirety of the angels of heaven? I don't think so. I think those are the ones that were just on the ready. The ones who are on call. That moment. And if I'm just going to be honest with you this morning, I don't think Jesus was trying to communicate 60,000 angels to his disciples. I think what he was trying to communicate was there's a, enough angels in heaven to take care of any need I would have if I made the request. And he is king this morning. He is king. He always was king, 
and he always will be king. Never a moment that he set aside his sovereignty. Now, I don't understand it all, and I can't explain the incarnation to you. And I, in that moment when he steps between the portal of, of heaven and earth, I don't understand what happens there. I don't understand how God does that. But I know this morning that, that according to the scriptures that Jesus always was king. And he always will be. And I understand this morning that some of you are facing difficulties in your life. I understand that, that some are concerned about a government shutdown and while others are rejoicing over it. And others are concerned about, about the trade wars and the tariffs. And, and there's so many things going on in this world and, and our culture is getting more wicked and more vile. But I want to tell you something this morning, that if we could see Christmas through the eyes of Christ, we would recognize that, that God is still in control. He was in control when he was standing there at the portal of heaven. He was in control as a baby. You say, how do you know that he was in control? Because all wicked Herod and all the host of hell could not slay him or find him. While mankind looked and they beheld a baby that wasn't strong enough to, to lift up his own head. They beheld a baby not even capable of, of consuming solid food. As they looked upon that baby and, and saw only weakness and vulnerability, within that child's being was the sovereignty of Almighty God. And there was not one power in all the universe able to keep him from his will not even able to lift up his head and yet Herod couldn't crush him <laughs> Satan couldn't crush him at his weakest at his most vulnerable he still was more powerful than all of the host of earth hell and I want you to know this morning that he has gone back to the right side of the heavenly father he'd be sitting in his throne but I want to tell you something oh this just gets me <laughs> you remember you remember in Acts Stephen was being stoned and he looked up into heaven, and Jesus wasn't sitting. He was standing up. When his child, when his child was in distress, Jesus stood up and took notice. And I want you to know, in the midst of, of those of you that are grieving, those of you that are suffering, those of you that are going through circumstances and situations that you don't understand, I want you to know that he doesn't sit down on the job. He stands up and takes notice of your suffering. And he's noticed. He's noticed just as he noticed all those years ago that this world was dark and bleak and in need of a Savior, he noticed where you're going through this morning. He's noticed. And he has the power and he has the wisdom to know how to handle it. 
I'd love to tell you every time he stands up, he changes things, but Stephen still died. I'd like to tell you that every time that he stands up, your trials will go away, your mountains will be moved. But what I want you to know is even though he doesn't change your circumstances or change the, the thing that you're going through, I want you to know he'll give you the strength and the power to make it through it if you let him. If you let him. When Jesus came, he didn't make the world right in a moment. In fact, if we're just going to be honest, he hasn't made it right yet. It wasn't about making the, right, the world right in a moment. What was so powerful and why we celebrate Christmas is because of his presence. And folks, we can always, no matter how dark the night, no matter how violent the storm, we can have his presence presence and that's better than any present you could put under a tree hallelujah this morning hallelujah he is sovereign but paul goes on and he says not only was he sovereign not only was he god but he was and he is servant He was found in the form of God. Wow. That word or there, form, is a, is a word that you might know from the Greek. It's morph. You know, you kind of remember, maybe remembered a science class about the little tadpole that metamorphoses into a frog. Or the caterpillar that goes through metamorphosis to become a butterfly. That word morph is there. He, was, he had the essence, the form. He was in the likeness of God. And he did not think it robbery to be equal with God. Now, I think we, you and I miss, miss out what this means. To rob someone means to take something from them by force that doesn't belong to us. I don't think I've ever been robbed. I've had things stolen from me, but, I, but I, I've never ha been robbed that I, that I can recall. I suppose if I had been, I'd recall it. I hear stories of people who have had guns pulled on them and Give us your money or your life. And that's, I, I think that would be terrifying to have to experience, to have your th things taken from you by force. And as we read that, I think we forget there have been attempts. There have been violent attempts to rob God of his Equal, and be called equal with God. If we understand Isaiah correctly, Lucifer, the son of the morning, thought that he could be like the Most High. He thought that he could be as God and raised an angel rebellion. And he was cast out of heaven. 
he, though he attempted to rob God of his glory and wanted to be equal, he was not worthy and he was cast down. I wish that was the only time in which someone thought they could be like God. But if you'll remember in Genesis, God said, don't eat of the fruit. And Adam is holding that. And the serpent has said, you will be like God. And the greed of the heart thought that they could rob the glory of God and become equal to God. And here's what amazes me this, this morning. Believing we could be like God, man fell. And in order for us to be redeemed, God had to become man. The complete opposite of what we tried to have happen had to occur. Man did not become elevated to the same level as God, but man was visited by a God who was willing to come down to our level. Wow. Wow. I know we talk about Emmanuel and, and at Christmas time we talk about the incarnation and, 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 and probably we hear it so oftentimes we just lose the wonder of it. But for, for how many people do you know who are still trying to elevate themselves, pride and, and greed has lifted them up and they've lifted themselves up and it isn't that way at all for us to be saved. God had to come down to our level. You remember the Tower of Babel. They said, we will build ourselves a tower into heavens. We're going to be just like God ourselves. And what does the scripture say? And God went down to see what they were doing. Folks, the highest we could ever obtain to couldn't even scratch the bottom of the foundation of heaven. And God knew he had to come down. That he became a man of no reputation. What does that mean? It, it doesn't mean like, like our reputations that we have, but what he's saying is, is, he, is God did something incredible. He emptied himself of himself. How do you do that? One hymn writer said he emptied himself of all but love. It's like he took off the coat. Good thing Chase isn't here. This is expensive. <laughs> took off the coat of deity and he hung it up in the closet it was still his he didn't lose it it wasn't hit it didn't become someone else's it did he didn't lose it because he set it inside in the closet it was still his and he put on the coat of human flesh i don't know how do you do that 
I don't know how God does that. And he came as a servant. I think of the night before he's to die. And he takes his disciples into the upper room to have the Passover. And they have the Last Supper. And Jesus puts on a towel. He gets a basin and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. I have to be honest with you, I'm just like Peter. Lord, you can't wash my feet. That's a job for the lowest of servants. That's, that's the job for the new hires. That's not the ones for the high seniority workers, and, let, and certainly not for, for God. This is, this, is, this, is, this, this is the junk work. You know when you get hired in a new job, you get all the bad jobs. Yet Jesus is there serving. And while the disciples about are quarreling about who can be greatest, Jesus is taking dust and wiping it off from those feet. In just a few moments, Judas is going to walk out that door and he's going to lead the soldiers to Christ. But he's going to do it with clean feet. He's going to do it with clean feet. They don't tell us. But if I could only behold Jesus washing one foot one of the disciples' feet, it would have been Judas's. My mind's high. I think Jesus spent a little longer on Judas's feet. My mind's eye, Jesus, Jesus wanted Judas to know that he was loved one last time. You see, I think that many of us if we knew there was a plot against us, we probably wouldn't, we'd, we'd probably just be the opposite. People mistreat us. We, we get, often try to get away with the bare minimum. But I don't think Judas had one speck of dust left on his feet. Jesus came to serve. He came to serve those that would not love him. And would not yield to him and would even betray him. And I wonder this, this morning, how well are we serving like Jesus? You know, I've heard different ones say in the testimony times, and I, and I love this. I absolutely love it. I want to serve him better. I love how that, when different ones end their testimony that way, not saying that everybody has to do it a certain way, but I just really appreciate those that say that. But you know, we'll never do that on accident. We're going to have to become intentional. We're going to have to plan how we're going to serve him better. I suppose that 
in just a few days. Some of you perhaps will grab the paper and pen and you'll come up with some uh, New Year's resolutions. Some of you will want to lose weight. Some of you will want to exercise more. and Some of you will want to fill in the blank. The year before we got married, my wife's New Year's resolution was to fatten me up. She did not fail. <laughs> I told her she can quit any time now. <laughs> Folks, if you're going to be a better servant in 2019 than you were in 2018, you're going to have to make some specific decisions. You're going to have to say that I'm going to be quicker to be obedient. When God speaks to me, I'm going to obey the first time. I'm not going to wait and, and, and fuss about it. If we're going to be better servants in 2019, we're going to have to make a decision to not complain when God leads us through dark valleys and places we don't want to go, that, that we're going to give up our, 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 our spirit of complaining. We're going to have to find and look and be on the constant lookout for people that we can serve and we can do to them as Christ would have us do. It's not If we're going to serve Jesus better in 2019 than 18, if that's not just words to fill up time in a testimony, but we really mean those words, we're going to have to do it on purpose. Just as Jesus had to, on purpose, lay aside his deity and take on humanity. Just as Jesus had to, uh, on purpose, lay aside his robe and don the towel and then pick up the basin and the water and begin to wash the feet of the disciples. If we're going to serve him better this year, it's not going to happen by happenstance or because we, it's something we wished for and hoped for. It's because we have chosen to serve him better. And we've identified specific areas on how we can do it. We're going to set aside so much money a week or a month to give to those that need it. Oh, you can, you can find all sorts of things to do to serve him better. But I'd recommend not just coming up with them on your own. I would recommend spending some time alone with our Savior and saying, Lord, how can I serve you better? What would you say to me as your servant? What would you say to me that I could do to serve you better this year? If Jesus could lay aside the throne of heaven to serve us. How can we hold anything back? He held nothing back for us. Someone said, that when we think about our giving, we shouldn't ask how much do we have to give, but we should ask God how much can we give. 
How much can we give? God would, God has set the example for us this morning when he became a servant. I believe it was C.S. Lewis who said that Jesus coming as a man was like a man choosing to become a slug or a crab. Psalmist David in Psalms 22 and that great psalm of prophecy of Jesus' death, he says, I have become a worm and not a man. I don't know about you, but I'm not, I'm not looking to become a worm to save the worms. But Jesus loved us enough that he was willing to come and be a worm to save a worm such as I. Jesus came as a servant. The sovereign king became a servant so that he could become our sacrifice. I guess we could spend a long time here that Jesus became our sacrifice. You know, I, I have heard different ones at, uh, back east, and then I've heard that it's, it's here now too, uh, here in, in Kansas. But there are some that, that have, based on their understanding of Jeremiah, I believe it's chapter 10, don't believe in Christmas trees. And I think that's a, a misunderstanding of that scripture. And uh, if you have questions, I'm happy to talk to you about it. But the reason that we have a Christmas tree in our home is to remind ourselves that our Lord died upon a tree. That's why we have the Christmas tree. And we put the beautiful decorations on it and, and we put the, the ribbons and the bows and the tinsels and the, and the ornaments and, and all those things. And, and, you know, we've got the, on our Christmas tree, there's a, there's a snow woman with a baby bump that we got sometime when Trisha was probably pregnant for Dennis or one of the children. I don't remember which one now. And we've got... Picture, uh, we've got an ornament that has Eliana in it, and, and it was she made it in school last year, and that was her gift to me last year. And, and we've got a bride and groom for when Trish and I got married, and and I mean the uh, so many. And your Christmas tree probably has similar special meaning ornaments, maybe a key when you bought your first home. But you've got those things. And we decorate that tree with reminders of our blessings. And last night as I looked upon that tree in our living room, I realized that God is able to take the ugliest, most vile things and make them beautiful and turn them into blessings. So many of the blessings that are represented on that tree, those 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 ornaments, those, those trinkets, really, they represent things that I would never have had if I'd never met Jesus.
And somehow, somehow Jesus was able to turn a cruel, most humiliating, most painful way to die. And now we decorate the front of our church with it, and it doesn't make us grimace. Because he made it beautiful. And I want you to know that he didn't just do it with trees and crosses, but he does it with hearts and lives. And your life and your heart was ugly one time. So is mine. The night before Christmas, the world had no Savior. And so Jesus stepped into time and space to be the great sacrificial lamb that we might have a Savior. And all the ugly and all the vile and all the sinful and all those things in my life that, that brought me humiliation and pain and shame, he made something beautiful out of it. And so I would tell you this morning that our great Savior knows how to make what's ugly in your life into something beautiful. And some of you are praying for and some of you are holding on for children and, and others that you love and care for. Grandchildren perhaps and brothers and sisters and neighbors. I want you to know that when it looks like there's no hope, like it did uh, that night before Christmas, when the world had no hope, Jesus stepped in. Keep holding on. Keep holding on. As we bring this series to a close, and we've tried to look through the eyes of each of these Christmas characters. I was thinking of one of my favorite hymns, perhaps my favorite hymn of all, Be Thou My Vision. It's an old, old, old song. As I understand it, it was first written for, by a poet in fact, I don't even think our hymn book has the, who wrote it because it's lost to legend. But there is a poet, poet, and I can't. I think his name was Dalian Flagian or something like that. Some foreign name I don't remember, but Dalian, I think his name was, is who they think wrote it. They're not sure. But this poet lost his eyesight and became blind, according to legend. And that inspired those words, Be thou my vision. And I wonder this morning, what would happen if Jesus became our vision? If all year long we looked through his eyes, not through the eyes of a political party, not through the eyes of Hollywood, 
not through the eyes of our favorite musicians or artists, not through the eyes of our parents, but we would look at this world through the eyes of Jesus. I think it'd be hard. I think it would be hard for some because of we've been taught for so long to look at this world through the eyes of materialism. And he who dies with the most toys wins. But the one that dies with the most toys still dies. They still die. I think it would be hard for some to change their values. I, I think it would be difficult to give up certain privileges and rights. And I think it would be hard to see our co-workers and our neighbors and that person that's driving us crazy that just cut us off as we're going down the road and almost caused an accident to see them through the eyes of Jesus. I think it would take work. I think it would take effort. But I think that if we took and saw this world through the eyes of Jesus, no, we wouldn't become sovereign, but I think it would help us to be better servants, to serve our children better and our spouses better and our parents better. I think it would help us to, to make our sacrifice light. I think it would become easier to sacrifice if we could see them through the eyes of Jesus. I think it would be easier to give up things of this world and what people's opinions are of us. For there were a lot of people who had a lot of opinions about Jesus and it didn't seem to bother him. I think it would change the way we lived if we just could see through the eyes of Jesus every day. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. I'm inviting us to stand this morning. This is a great week of celebration. The king that this world longed for, that prophets foretold was coming. The world's long anticipation, a pregnancy that, that took thousands of years. And we get to say, joy to the world. The Lord has come. May we see this world. May we see those around us the way that he sees. What a challenge for us this morning. What a challenge. Amen. I'm going to ask my wife if she dismisses in prayer.